Welcome to the Marriage Adventure Podcast, where the journey is the destination. It's the highs, the lows, and everything in between. Well, hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us today on today's episode of the podcast. We're so glad you're with us. We're your hosts. I'm Daniel. And I'm Bonnie. And on today's episode, uh, you are not going to be disappointed. We have a very special guest with us. Yep. Today, we're spending some time with best-selling author and international speaker, Gary Thomas. And we're excited to tell you a little bit about him before we dive in. Um, we've actually read some books of his, and we've been through small group studies, and he's had a great impact on our marriage and our mm-hmm. um, and people that we've been able to walk through and journey through life with that have right. been impacted. So we can't wait to talk with him. But Gary is the author of 20 books that together have sold over 2 million copies, and they've been translated into more than a dozen languages and won numerous awards. His writings have established him as a, as a thought leader in the areas of marriage, parenting, and spiritual formation. He's probably best known for his book, Sacred Marriage, which sold over 1 million copies, which we highly recommend you mm-hmm. read. We did that with our small groups. Yeah. So good. Yep. And he's not only an author, but he serves on the teaching team at Second Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. Gary's speaking ministry has led him to speak in 49 states and nine different countries and on numerous, and he's been on numerous national television and radio programs. And he's on this one with us today. So thank you so much, Gary, for being with us. It's so great to meet you guys. Thank you. Well, man, uh, we love great stories about great couples and how they met. So we want to hear how you and your wife, Lisa, met. Mine is so embarrassing. And, you know, it's funny because I, I can't count how many of these shows I've done. I don't think I've ever been asked that. Given that I write really? on marriage, it's really interesting. But it's really embarrassing. Uh, it was at junior high youth group. It was sort of my self-proclaimed job that I would be the welcome committee for all the cute girls. And <laughs> Lisa came man. in and certainly it was one of the cute ones. And so it's a two week romance, which at that time we held hands. We didn't kiss. Right? I mean, it was just, it was just that. And then she had a spring break coming up. She thought, well, I might meet somebody on spring break. You know how it was right in the seventies. So she broke up with me thinking we'll just get back together two weeks later but when she came back after spring break, Pam had come in Uh-oh. and uh, I, I now had to welcome <laughs> Pam. So Hi, when Pam. she tells Sorry. the story, that's what it, it always is. But then we, we kind of stayed in, in somewhat contact because we're in the same church and we went to different high schools and then re-met in college. And this is what's weird a little bit because I remember right before Lisa, I was dating a young woman named Debbie. Not Pam. So wait, we got Lisa, Pam, Debbie. Okay. Uh, We're We're starting to put together a picture of who you were. (laughs) I had a thing with my kids. You know that phrase, what would Jesus do? Yeah. I said, when it came to dating, think, what would my dad have done and do the opposite? (laughs) Sort of bringing George from Seinfeld into dating. Oh, I love it. So um, I'm dating Debbie. We're walking across the college campus and I see Lisa coming up and it was so weird. I felt so guilty holding Debbie's hand in front of Lisa. Now we hadn't Mm. dated for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. There was no commitment. And Lisa came and saw it and she just said to herself, Debbie, you can hold his hand, but I'm the one that's going to marry him. She said that. Yeah. Wow. She, I mean, she didn't say it out loud. But oh, okay. That's what she's thinking. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, <sighs> some tumultuous months later, after a friend told me that he was praying that Debbie and I would break up, <laughs> um, 
Lisa and I got together and wow. that was it. Oh, that's so, awesome. so y'all met, so you met in middle school, junior high, got married, kind of got back together in college and got married after college or during college. Yeah, well, she didn't actually graduate. Um, okay. she, she was going to be, um, she was a junior and you got to know your major by the time you're a senior. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't have her major yet. Typically. So I, I had graduated. I was a year ahead of her. And, um, so we got married literally after my last final before commencement. We just kind of wedged it in there because in college, you know how it is when your friends, well, at least in Washington state, they all have summer jobs. Mm. A lot of them were in Alaska or yeah. other. And so we wanted to get married at a time when our college friends could be there. Wow. You know, and, they, they call that an MRS degree. Mm. That's what she got is her <laughs> Mrs. Degree. But she didn't go back and finish it. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was one of those things. That's a great story. Yeah. You were um, you were a very smart junior high middle schooler. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I mean, I mean, there's just no way. If it's my son or my daughter, all that'd be going on. I'd be thinking, are you crazy? But, you know, mm -hmm. look, it worked out. There you go. Luckily. And how long have you guys been married? 36 years. 36 oh, years. That's awesome. That's great. That's, That's great. great. Well, in that time, we know that you have gleaned a lot of great information and you've written a lot of books. Um, and we want to dive into your newest one, um, When to Walk Away, Finding Freedom from Toxic People. But before we do that, we're going to put you in the hot seat for just a second. Uh-oh. <laughs> All right. So, Gary, we call this segment Lightning Round. You've got two minutes, Bonnie's starting a timer here, to answer as many questions as you can. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Have you really run 14 marathons? Yes. Wow. Wow. Which one was your favorite? Well, I mean, Boston in one sense, just because it did live up to the hype, but the Munich Marathon was most meaningful to me in one sense because I... It finishes where Frank Shorter won his gold medal in the 72 Olympics. Yeah. And that's what inspired me to be a runner. I saw a guy with skinny arms like me, and I thought, if he can do something, maybe I can. And so it was sort of a bucket list event to run the Munich Marathon that finished in the same place Very Frank cool. Shorter did. Very cool. That is a good story. Okay, I've got one. Has Lisa read all your books? <laughs> you know, I, I think the answer is yes. Yeah. Well, one, she's got to vet them before they come out. There you <laughs> so go. I always mention her. So, uh, yes. yeah, she's, she's, she would have. Smart man. All right. If you had a day off totally to yourself, how would you spend it? Uh, well, there'd be a long run, some time to read. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm not that creative on that. So, uh, if it was in a nice place, I love Munich. I would say it'd be my, my favorite if I could do that in Munich. That's probably one of my favorite you can cities in the world. Money's no issue. You can do that. Yeah. <laughs> so during quarantine, did you get more done than you thought you would or less? More. Uh, my travel was down, so I was able to get a lot more writing done. And, and it's kind of been a crazy year as far as writing projects. But when I can work six days six mornings in a row without interruption it's been amazing how productive it's been running wise oh that is good all right so what is one band or musician you would love to hang out with well you too i'll show my age there oh. yeah <laughs> oh, that's always good okay if you had one last meal to eat on earth what would it be Oh, okay. Um, it's, it's not going to be healthy. I'll tell you that. Uh, it maybe, shouldn't be. 
pizza, nachos, and an ice cream sundae or something uh, like that. Maybe awesome. a maybe an Eminem Blizzard. Oh, uh, listen, yeah. if it's my last meal, there's no way I'm eating healthy. Great job, great job. Well, we're here to today with author Gary Thomas. Um, your latest book, Gary, is When to Walk Away When fi- Finding Freedom from Toxic People. And that came out in October, last October? Yes, yeah, just yep. about a year ago. Yep, oddly enough, right about the world time the whole world locked down and you know, everybody yeah. had to walk away. And so. We all had to walk away. <laughs> I, I was laughing because I said I wrote last year, walk away from negative people. And this year, our Department of Health said, walk away from positive people. That's yes. exactly <laughs> right. That's great. Well, what led you to write this book? It was my own naivete. Uh, I, I say it with some embarrassment. I'm, I'm a people pleaser mm-hmm. to a fault. Uh, my Enneagram is a one with a two wing. People that know what that means get that. Yep. And and so I always thought you just have to play a good spiritual offense. If you're surrendered to the Lord, applying the scriptures, operating out of love, you have good intention. Just your offense is going to win game after game. People are going to see the love of Christ and they're going to respond I never thought about playing spiritual defense, mm. uh, but have, I have wonderful friends. I mean, one of the best things about being an empty nester is I've, I've really been able to re-engage with some really solid mm. friendships. One guy I've known now for about 20 years, he's been a marriage and family therapist, and he's out on the other coast, but we stay in touch regularly. And there was a situation he was aware of where this guy, I found out he, he was being toxic and he was undercutting me. He was lying about me. He had a program. And I, I just mm-hmm. didn't even know what to do. And once I found out, my concern was how do I respond as a committed believer Yeah. Uh, without making, you know, bringing those. And I was shocked because he said, Gary, my recommendation is that you don't engage him at all. I said, what do you mean? I mean, how can that be the Christian thing? And that's when he, this is what changed my life. He goes, I want you to go to the book of Luke, count how many times Jesus walked away from someone or let somebody walk away from mm. him. Wow. And I, you know, I'm a little bit OCD, not clinically, but I live in a neighborhood right next door to it. So um, when a counselor tells me that, even though he's not my counselor, he's my friend, but I went to all four gospels. Yeah. Counted, and this became the appendix of when to walk away. 41 citations where an encounter with Jesus ended up with him walking away or him letting them walk away without Jesus giving chase. Not always toxic people. And because of the synoptic gospel, some refer to the same instance. But I would have always counted that as a failure. Mm. I didn't believe that Jesus could ever fail. And so it was like, it was mind blowing. I can't count how many times I've read the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And yet there it was, this whole notion about the need to be focused and occasionally to play spiritual defense. I, I was I was shocked. That principle in your book, same it, it landed the same way with me as it did with your your friend telling you that. I had never thought about how many times Jesus walked away. No. It it dumbfounded me, and because um, as a believer, you feel like, oh no, we've got to go show love, we've got to mm-hmm. chase them down, and so reading that was very mm-hmm. like it, finding freedom. Can you talk a little bit about those instances and yeah, and yeah. Jesus's mindset towards that? I think there are two that are are great examples of that, and it's funny that you say that, Daniel, because when it first came out, when they hadn't read the book, I mentioned this blog and said, "Oh, Jesus wouldn't walk away. Jesus never walked away." And you know, I might have thought that too if I hadn't written the book. But two great examples: Matthew eight is a famous one where Jesus heals a man filled with demons, 
the demons ask if they can be sent into this herd of pigs. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the thing. What are a bunch of pigs doing in the middle of Israel, right? I mean, that, that's a whole different issue. <laughs> that's true. We don't think about that. But it's significant, right? So Jesus says, sure, go ahead. They run off the cliff. The crowd is angry because their livelihood has just been abolished. I mean, you have a fire cell on pork chops and bacon, but it's <laughs> going to be slim pickings after that. And so they come up to Jesus and they're so terrified. I mean, they've really been caught in doing something the Bible told them not to do. And then they, they saw this great spiritual deliverance where they could have said, wow, a guy's healed from demons. Instead, they came up to Jesus. And the last verse of Matthew 8 says, they pleaded with him to leave. Mm. And that, I mean, that breaks my heart because I think, what would we pay for a ticket mm. to see Jesus in an auditorium? You talk about you too. They do a great concert, but what? how long would you stay in line and I'd stay in line if I could see Jesus and hear Jesus and talk to him? They Absolutely. had it. And they tell him, just go. The very next verse is Matthew 9, 1, when Jesus says, it says, Jesus got into a boat and sailed away. Mm. I count that as walking away. Technically, he sailed away. <laughs> it's the same principle. He didn't say, look, I'm sorry, but, you know, you guys were kind of caught in a sin here. Or why don't you think about the guy who's delivered of demon? He does. Mm. He just, you don't want what I have. Yeah. Mm. I'm gone, and and he left. So that's with the hostile crowd. Here was one that really got me that really relates to family, mm. the rich young ruler. Uh, all of the gospels, many gospels talk about this, but one in particular says Jesus loved him. It's rich young ruler says, I've done everything that the Bible asked me to do, what I have to do to be perfect. And he says Jesus loved him. There was something about this young man that just drew Jesus to him. And so Jesus said, well, if you want to be perfect, sell all you have and give to the poor and then come follow me. Mm. That come follow me is astonishing because that's the only individual other than the disciples that got that invitation from Jesus. Mm. He, he talked about the crowds following him, that's right. but he was asking them to come into this intimate circle. Yeah. I mean, it, it's astonishing. Jesus liked this guy and he said, you, you, you can come in. And the course the Bible says he went away very sad because he was very rich. Mm. What we also realize is the next thing Jesus did is he turned to his disciples, the reliable people and taught them why it's difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom Mm. of God. He didn't run after the rich man and say, Hey, a hundred percent's a lot. How about we start at 50? I'll just cycle you up. It was. And, and so you see somebody who's hostile to Jesus and somebody that really has Jesus's heart Mm -hmm. in both cases. He was so focused on his ministry and finding reliable people yeah. that he would walk away from the hostile or the disinterested. His feelings didn't dictate what he did, what he did. His mission dictated what he did. God, what a great word. You know, both of us being on church staffs, what a great word for churches. We don't have to lessen the gospel. We don't have to lessen the requirements or, or dress it up or apologize for it, you know, in our boldness. Wow. Well, it, and it, for, for me, what's so freeing is that when I would feel like it was a failure, if I interacted with somebody and it didn't end well, because my personality is what did I do wrong? Yeah. Is there buried sin? Did I not speak out of love? Did I not listen enough and whatnot? And we want to make the gospel irresistible mm. to people, which I... I get yeah. it's a good aim, but the reality is when you look at the life of Jesus and Paul and Peter and John and James, 
they were all resistant. Yeah. <laughs> and so if I think I can bat a thousand when Jesus and his followers didn't, yeah. this notion that there's not going to be times to walk away is, I'm, right. it's, wow. it's an arrogance that is, yeah. you know, of epic proportions. Wow. I, lo- I love the concept in the book. You also said Jesus didn't, uh, no one took his life from him. He, yes. He gave his yes. life willingly. Yeah. That yeah. was powerful. Well, th- there was several times because I would always say, well, Jesus was a martyr. He let them kill him. He let them. But as I mentioned in the book, there are several instances before that, more than several. I think it's five or six where they set out to stone him or to kill him. And it said Jesus walked away by not going back into that town or he walked back through the crowd or he blinded them so they couldn't get him. More times, the policy of Jesus's life was not today. You don't get to beat me up today. Mm. You don't get to kill me today. Jesus decided when sacrifice was appropriate. The principle for, look, and I love it. These are sensitive believers, and I love them for being sensitive. But the principle is don't always assume it's the right thing to do to let yourself be beaten up Mm. all right Mm -hmm. because jesus walked away far more often than he accepted it paul did the same thing you know one time he said hey i'm a roman citizen you can't do it another time he let himself be beaten up so there are times we're going to have to face persecution that's part of living in a hostile world but we shouldn't always assume that just taking it is God's will for us that day. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think a lot of us look at, and, and so many times we think, well, Jesus said to turn the other cheek. So we expect, yeah. well, that just means we just take it and take it and take it. But there, he, he didn't. He There are so many other instances where he did walk away. And um, a lot of us have probably had people in our lives that, um, that, were not best for us or that um, were toxic, that that did have a toxicity to the relationship and it was hard to walk away from them. But you do talk a lot about toxic people in this book. Can you explain to us who who these people are? Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, And it's important to make this distinction because every toxic person is difficult, but not every difficult person is toxic. That's Mm, good word. By toxic, I don't mean that they disagree with you. I don't mean that they're forceful. I'm third of four children, so I'm not a type A, take charge, abrasive personality. It would be wrong of me to assume that forceful personalities are toxic just because that's not my bent. It doesn't certainly doesn't mean that they're not believers. We're called to give our lives for believers and to reach out and to show love and to turn the other cheek when it's appropriate. What marks a toxic person is really that they're taking pieces out of you. Mm. They're destroying you. And when somebody's destroying you, they're destroying your ability to reach out to others. Uh, it's, it's the whole thing when I was shocked when I took lessons to become a lifeguard. One of the first things they teach you is self-defense because people who are drowning panic and they thrash around and they can drown you in their panic. And so for you to save that person, you have to learn how to defend yourself. Well, I think in Christian circles, we need to teach the same thing. And, And this is where I think Satan eats naive Christians for lunch because we think, well, yeah, I have no joy since I've been around this person. I have no peace. I have no self confidence, but aren't I supposed to be the martyr to lay down my life? Well, if the, somebody is destroying your joy, what does the Bible say? The joy of the Lord is my 
Strength. Strength. Okay. If they're destroying your self-confidence, that they're masters at gaslighting, making you believe mm. what you believe is true can't possibly be true. Then you lose your confidence to speak to anyone else. Yeah. Maybe I'm not hearing from God. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe I should just keep my mouth shut. And so it's not, it's not selfish or arrogant to want to preserve yourself. You're the vehicle that God is using to reach so many other people. You have a responsibility to preserve your soul, your peace, your joy, and your mm. strength and confidence so that you can reach others. It's sort of like an Olympian. It's got an, an event the next day. They're not going to offer to move your furniture, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> they've got a task to yeah. do. And I think our task is more important than Olympian's task. Mm. It's not going to be in the newspaper. But seeking first the kingdom of God, every believer, it is just as crucial. And so, uh, you know, I we have turned the other cheek, but I just always go back to Matthew 7, 6. Jesus launches the church on the offense in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seven verses later, but don't give what is holy to dogs or throw your pearls before swine. Wow. Or else they'll turn and tear you to pieces. That's right. Yeah. So, just after Jesus says go, he says, take a detour around these people. Be careful. <laughs> I never got that. I never really wrestled with that qualification and paid the price for it. And I don't think most of us do as Christians. Yeah. I really I, I agree with you. And, and we've had relationships. Listen, there's relationships where I've just been a bad friend. <laughs> but then there's others that have we felt were toxic that we we had to walk away from and like that you we lived in that. Yeah. wrestled with it and felt in guilt for years yeah. after that oh, did I, I do the right thing was i a good christian maybe i should go back and apologize and um and so reading this really brought a lot of freedom and confirmation in some situations and then other situations well, i really just should have been a better friend <laughs> um but that's all good and fine when we're talking about friendships and in the and in the book, you dive into this scenario with friendships, with uh, parents, with children, and you dive into it with married couples. Yeah, yeah. And as a pastor, as a counselor, as people listening, as Christians, that is a really tough question. And I have it yeah. all the time. And you probably do too. I have couples coming in and sometimes they're looking for me to give them a way out. And so... Can we dive into that a, a, a little bit? Um, since this is a marriage podcast, we'll we'll dive yeah, into that. Sure. I'd love sure. to ask that question, and I've gotten so many times, is when is it okay for a Christian to walk away from a spouse, or is it? Okay. Especially when we're talking about marriage, I want us to make a distinction between toxic behavior and a toxic person. Mm -hmm. Three of the markers of toxic behavior, not every toxic person exhibits all of these, that are good to be aware of, is controlling. Toxic people want to control you, and that's so against. We're to encourage people to be led by God. Toxic person is, you're going to do what I want you to do. Whether it's neediness, threats, guilt, whatever, I'm going to get you to do what I want to do. A murderous spirit is the second thing. Um, and that sounds melodramatic, but if they're murdering your joy, your confidence, your peace, they murder your family gatherings, they murder your happiness, they, they murder an office environment, they murder a church by turning people against each other, um, and then they love to hate. 
Paul has a list in Colossians 3 that healthy Christians put on compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, self-control. Toxic people are marked by anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying. Mm. And they come alive when they're doing that. Mm. And, and here's Daniel where I couldn't have written this book 10 years ago. Because I, look, I've spent my life trying to hold marriages together. And I, I do believe that when two people are committed in Christ, God, I've seen God heal every bad situation imaginable. Yeah. Affairs, everything that you could think of, I've seen God give people victory through. But in one instance, and I, and I got chills when I realized this guy didn't want a healthy marriage. He wasn't trying to save his marriage to have a relationship with his wife. He wanted me to preserve the platform of his marriage because he got a sick thrill terrorizing his wife. Mm. He was destroying her. And if I would have participated in that as a pastor, I'm participating in the destruction of a cherished daughter of God. You see, to a toxic person, a healthy marriage, two people encouraging each other, raising a family, loving each other, supporting each other, releasing, that's boring. Mm. they get a sick spiritual thrill out of anger, rage, malice, making somebody feel astray, afraid, making somebody feel stupid, making somebody feel threatened. Um, it's the same thing with the church, you know, a healthy church. People want to say, Hey, let's support the leadership. Let's read the word. Let's have a mission. And some people say, no, I think he meant this when he said that. And did you hear what they said? And do you agree with that? And for some reason they get a toxic thrill out of division mm. and intrigue and slander. And they're the inside person turning two people against each other. And so I've had situations in one marriage that was extremely controlling. I, I mentioned it in the book. It may be one of the most controlling marriages I've ever seen. Mm. We had a separation, which I think was needed. She was already filing papers for divorce. The guy totally repented mm. face down before he did everything I asked him to do. Um, he let his wife go as far as the form of control and God healed him and God healed their marriage. This is years later. And she's like, this is great. I have a, I have a new man. So we were able to confront toxic behavior. The difference is when you're dealing with a toxic person that isn't willing to repent mm -hmm. and you see somebody being destroyed. And I, I still believe Jesus makes it clear. I know I'm going on too long here. I'm sorry. No, no you're great. This is great. Jesus makes it clear. Seek first, not an intact marriage as much as that. I mean, that's been my life mm -hmm. work. Wow. Seek first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Mm -hmm. And so if a marriage is destroying somebody's ability to seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus has given us five or six teaching passages where it says, somebody loves my mother, father, son, or daughter. And in one passage, your wife more than me, he's not worthy of me. Mm -hmm. So Jesus at least leaves the door open that, there may be a time when your spouse gets in the way of your first allegiance to Jesus. And that's when you have to put your foot down and say, no, you know what? Um, I'll, I'll learn your love languages. <laughs> I'll, I'll meet your needs. I'll show respect if you're going to show the love, but you, you know, you don't get to come in front of Jesus wow. to me. In the book, you talk about, a, you, you tell a story about a friend that gave you an illustration that, um, 
and, and basically he was saying God loves the people more than oh, the yes. institution. Yes, Tell us yes. about that. That was yeah, powerful. Yeah. Mike Dittman, he, he, he really challenged me in that he, um, he worked a lot with churches and some of them can get toxic. Um, God builds great institutions and people mess them up. <laughs> you know, I, I think of the Sabbath. God created the Sabbath for a good purpose and held it so seriously. Mm-hmm. In the Old Testament, if you were breaking the Sabbath, it could be a capital offense. But that, I mean, you could be killed, right? Mm-hmm. And yet Jesus said, hey, you know, thousand years later, you know what? God created the Sabbath for man, not man for the Sabbath. So we have this way of taking even something good that God created and we turn around and make it evil. So um, Paul tells us to give honor to elders in the church, double honor. They're worthy of their wages. Next verse we're told, but you know what? If one of them sins, you got to call them out. So Paul really recognizes, and Peter does this as well, that you recognize God given authority, but you got to call it out when that authority goes bad. Right. And so what, what Mike did with churches, he said, Gary, and he applied this to marriage later, that when a church is destroying people, God cares about the people more than he cares the shells. Wow. Mm. And, and you see that about Israel. I mean, when Israel was going astray, God said, like, I don't care about your nation and your land and even the temple. I'll let my temple be destroyed if that's what it takes to bring my people back to me. And I think the same thing is about marriage. Marriage is a wonderful institution ordained by God, created by God, designed by God. We should sacrifice for it. We should give our heart to really try to make it work. But if a person is being destroyed, God goes with the person, not with the shell. Mm. Then, then the cost is too great to save a marriage at the cost of a person's soul or life. I, I think we're just, we're, we're just getting pietistic in a way that really hurts people. Mm, wow. That's good. And, and, and if you're listening today, by no means is Gary's giving you an easy out to, you know, to your marriage. This is, this is heavy stuff that has to be weighed and prayed and counseled through, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, and it's, what I, what I try to tell people is, I, I again, if anybody knows me from sacred marriage to yeah. lifelong love to cherish, I've given my heart saying God can heal difficult marriage. The whole message of sacred marriage is God uses the difficulties of marriage yes. to help us grow. Yeah. So God, you shouldn't run mm. from a difficult marriage, but a difficult marriage is different than a toxic marriage that's destroying yes. someone. Um, and, and that's where I think the church has to say our mission is to resist evil. Mm-hmm. I am all for parents having authority over their kids above the state. I get chills whenever I think of the state removing a child. But if that parent is abusing the kid and terrorizing the kid, it's evil not to remove the kid. That's a great that analogy. De- that doesn't deny parental authority. Mm-hmm. It just means this person is abusing parental authority so good. And, and they've lost it. And so um, the, the catchphrase I use in the book is respect God given authority, but reject, but resist evil. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think as Christians, this is where I fell. Well, fell isn't the right word. I, I was limited in my thinking. As Christians, we always think of God as creator and Christ as redeemer. 
Mm -hmm. creator redeemer and those are true i forgot about the fall (laughs) how the fall seeps into every good institution into government into church into parenting and into marriage and a christian's job is to resist evil we can't be naive about the fall god is going to redeem things but if we pretend the fall didn't happen uh, we're we're going to leave people in evil situations, and then we're cooperating with evil, not being God's representatives to shine light where there's darkness. Yeah. In chapter 18 of this book, you, you talk about leaving the toxicity instead of leaving the marriage. What yes. do you mean by yeah. that? Yeah, well, it's a wonderful couple. I'm thankful they were willing to tell their story. Again, it's the difference between a toxic act and a toxic person. They both recognized they were acting in toxic ways. The husband could be uh, frustrated with his wife. They happened to, to work together. Um, and she didn't appreciate the way he treated her. So she would never say she was sorry. <laughs> and and then it had others just working together. It had issues with their sexual intimacy and whatnot. And his actions would make her actions worse, which would make his actions worse, which would make her actions Why can't you ever say you're sorry? Well, I'm not going to say I'm sorry when you're acting like that. You need... And they were just going to this spiral. They heard me. I did a sacred marriage conference at their church. They started going through it. It got the husband into counseling and the pastor really challenged him. And even though he could point out to my wife is doing this and and a Christian wife shouldn't do that. And he was right. The pastor said, you got to own your own acts. And so he did. And, And this is why I'm glad you brought it up. Bonnie, because this is a good story about how much I think we should work to preserve our marriage when we can. He changed the way he acted for 11 months before his wife responded. You know, sometimes Christian authors and speakers try to make it say, well, you do this by the weekend, you have a different spouse or you 11 months. He did this out of commitment to God until eventually, because there had been a pattern. They've been married 20 years. I mean, there was deep patterns in their marriage until eventually the wife said, this is crazy. This isn't a face. She was convicted, seeing how his heart had changed mm. and she changed. And it's not all roses, but it's an entirely new and different marriage in many regards because they both left their toxic acts behind, which is why I say as Christians, we can leave the toxic acts instead of the marriage if two people are willing to repent. So good. The only time you're talking about separation is when one gets a thrill out of being toxic, mm-hmm. wants to be toxic, sees the marriage as a platform to be toxic. Then as a pastor, I'm really nervous. But if somebody's acting toxic and, and mortified about it and repenting of it, uh, I've seen time and time again, yeah. God gives the grace, the power, the strength for them to walk out of that toxicity and have a great testimony and a great ministry. Boy, that's so good. Yeah, that... that attribute of self-awareness in a counseling session with a couple is huge, isn't it? Yeah. When, when they can become, or one of them becomes self-aware, like you just said about what they're doing. Yeah. And, you know, so that, that's so good. Now, any advice you'd give to a couple today that's listening, that is yeah. struggling in their marriage? Well, if it's, I, I'm, if I'm keeping on topic about toxic people, Uh, What I would say, and I don't want to stereotype here. I don't mean to be sexist. Please understand. I'm just, I've seen this more often. If the wife is letting herself be terrorized by her own parent, an in-law, a sibling, a toxic coworker or whatnot, um, I just want her to know when you let yourself be 
destroyed bit by bit by a toxic person, your spouse and your kids pay the heaviest price. You know this, you're not getting a full night of sleep. So you're not as patient with your family. You're not as there for your family. You're not able, maybe you miss your time of prayer. You, 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 instead of listening to your spouse, you're replaying this crazy conversation or you're just fearful and anxious because their name might come up on your phone or you might see them posting. The best way to love your family, which I think you should do, is to cut the toxic people out of your life. Uh, my wife is so healthy. We talked about my last meal. My wife, it would probably be a kale salad <laughs> and a green smoothie. Um, and she'd been wanting me to go on this elimination diet for for years where you get a blood test and then they tell you, you can't eat this food and that. You're probably interacting poorly with. Oh. Well, for somebody like me, I get a list. You can't eat anything you like. <laughs> yeah, yes. Anything you enjoy, you don't get to eat anymore, right? And I was just like, oh, this is just there. But but the thinking is that foods aren't putting you in the hospital, but you have sinus congestion or you have uh, achy joints or listlessness or you run out of energy. And the thought is if you want a life that's thriving, you learn to eat and you, you learn to avoid the foods that keep you from that. Yeah. And I would say as Christians, you, just because somebody isn't putting you in the mental hospital or sending you to professional account doesn't mean they're not making you sick. Mm. When That's you're a, a young parent, God has a mission for you. It takes a lot of energy to be a good spouse. It takes a lot of energy to be a good parent, to be a good friend with healthy people. You don't have time to let people make you sick. Mm-hmm. It, it destroys your healthy relationships. And so I would say, encourage each other, protect each other, look out for each other, even say it. You know, I really think this person has a toxic influence because you, you're talking about them all the time. I, I, I see the difference when you're with them. I just, maybe you should read this book. And mm-hmm. it's almost an act of defense saying, I just, I want you to have the freedom to be there for your kids. And I, I just think you've been distracted lately. You're not sleeping or you're anxious or, mm-hmm. or whatnot. So I would, I would say if you have a spouse who's very susceptible to toxic people, uh, I would really encourage you to, to, to deal with the poison mm. so that your marriage can get healthy. That's great. That's that is so good. good. So many great things from this book. And I think every Christian really should read it. Um, so yeah. would you tell us today, uh, we'll have, we're going to have a link in our show notes for where they can find it. But would you tell listeners today, if they're just riding their car, where can they find your book and any of your books for that matter? Yeah, well, my website is GaryThomas.com. Mm-hmm. There's a whole website on the book, though, called WindowWalkawayBook.com. WindowWalkawayBook.com. And they can read some excerpts and look at it and see if it's interesting. Or they could look at the reviews on Amazon or Christian book distributors and, and whatnot, uh, or again at my website, GaryThomas.com. And they can purchase it there at the website? Uh, well, the website has other options that they can purchase that, yeah, all yeah. of the others. That's so good. Yeah, I agree with, with you, Bonnie. This is a book that every, every Christian needs to read because um, there's not many books out there with this topic that That's dives right. into this and this vantage point especially when you begin to look at the life of Christ and the whole what would Jesus do, you know, thing you, you, you mentioned. That for us, for me, it was very freeing and, uh, and very confirming of things that I knew God had told us to do years ago, but I just still lived with guilt over it. Yeah, and, um, I, I'm, I'm with you, Daniel. I know exactly how you feel. I felt yeah, it. Yeah, well, this, is, this has been terrific. So if you're listening today, 
buy the book, click buy now, get it, read it, put it to use. If you're in a small group, um, check out a lot of uh, Gary's other uh, books and small group studies he um, he does, and you will be blessed. We do have a DVD curriculum for this. Oh, great. That's, great. That's yeah. perfect. Absolutely. That's perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time today. We've we've really enjoyed it, yeah. and um, and we really enjoyed hearing your story of how uh, how you how you met your wife. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> great parenting advice right there. So, well, listen, thanks for joining us today on the podcast, and we hope you were inspired today, you were encouraged today, and we hope that you have a great, great week. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, then head on over to Facebook and Instagram and give us a follow. Have a great week.